0: the business of culture, the culture of business, markets, policy, creatives, media and technology, so much more. Full disclosure, I'm
1: Robin Farzad you should be posting. Everyone should be posting. Everyone has knowledge to share. And I think it is sometimes hard for people to remember that there are, or to realize that there are other people who are hungry for that knowledge. And it trips people up. They're like, I don't know if I should be sharing on LinkedIn. What should I share? What can I say? How do I sound right? My tip is always just to post and don't even look at the metrics. Just start, if you you have this idea in mind of I'm giving back, And I'm going to share. There's something that I have been doing that I want to share with other people. And it could be simple. Dan Roth, the editor-in-chief of LinkedIn, a former magazine star on the
0: professional social network's evolution and his own career pivot. And make sure you stick around for his pro tips. Robin Farzad would like to connect with you. Congratulations and stay tuned. This episode is made possible by the support of Salomon and Ludwin a boutique wealth management firm dedicated to helping families make smart financial decisions. You worked hard and sacrificed to create and build wealth. They treat advice given to you with the respect your journey deserves. For over 30 years, Salomon & Ludwin has earned a reputation of trust and confidence, recognized by Barron's as a Hall of Fame advisor. More at SalomonLudwin.com. Full Disclosure Podcast to NPR, Spotify, and of course, Apple Podcasts. The link is FullDRadio.com. You can follow on Twitter, Facebook, and LinkedIn at handle FullDRadio. And a shout out to our listeners on WVTF Radio IQ, Virginia's NPR news station. You can DM me to carry Full Disclosure on your air. Joining me from Manhattan in nowhere else, of course, the Empire State Building in LinkedIn's Manhattan studio is Dan Roth. He is the editor-in-chief of LinkedIn, the global networking
1: information career colossus. Sir, how are you? I'm great. That's a great description. I've never heard anyone come up with those words together. It's, it's It's a nice fit. I like it.
0: I didn't know how to put it because if I could go and converse with myself in the late 90s when I was very hot for a job at Fortune magazine and I was meeting with people there, who agreed to meet with me. Uh, they took me to the Judson Grill. It was Justin Fox and Julianne Slovak. And uh, I was like, I want to be a magazine journalist. Fortune magazine is like this thick back then. It yeah. had a thud factor. And they're like, son, you need to study this kid, Dan Roth. He does everything. Like he'll jump into a UPS outfit. He'll go embedded. He is the future of business journalism. And here we are 25 years later, and you are editor-in-chief of something called LinkedIn. Uh, do you ever... Think about that symmetry?
1: I think about it all the time. I mean, I think that the, you know, you, what you were describing is a world that doesn't exist anymore. And it was an amazing world at the time. This idea of big, expensive business lunches to be able to meet people, to be able to fill big, expensive business magazines and uh, send reporters around the world to go do stories. And the one you're talking about is for Fortune's best companies to work for. They, for a few, uh, a couple of years, I was both reporting it out and secretly working for those companies. I mean, that was just, it was so much fun. So yes, that was great. But I think the, the, if you go back, like one of the things I always wanted to do was just keep learning and trying new things. And that is what led me to LinkedIn.
0: The way they were kind of explaining it, just another footnote on this, is you want diversification and kind of this small cap growth of Dan Roth and the large cap kind of esteemed value of Andy Serwer, and they will converge, and that is the future for you. So it's very interesting. I'm fascinated whenever I use LinkedIn. It's obviously indispensable for information. If interest rates are surging, if there's bond market consternation, I see all manner of sources posting there initially, first and foremost, especially now because uh, Twitter, I guess they're calling it X, has become such an unfriendly place since Elon Musk acquired it, overpaid for it. And there are arbitrary rules. I mean, you don't see links anymore. You don't see headlines, previews. It, It feels like a dictatorship. So I was especially keen to get you on because there's this search for greener social media pastures, greener and cleaner, if you will
1: you know when i think about what we are trying to do on linkedin one of the areas that has really helped us over the years and so i've been here now for 12 years and we've never changed how we see the world or what our role in it is i keep running into people who are like oh i'm using linkedin more and this is what i'm finding and i love hearing all of that but everything they're describing is exactly the path that we have been on for 12 years it is all about this idea of helping people Achieve economic opportunity through knowledge sharing and through talking about what's going on in their careers and in their worlds, and by helping other people learn that information so that they can be better at what they do or what they want to do. And that's it. We have a very tight focus. It is about economic opportunity. It's about the economy. It's about the professional world. It is about your career. It's everything that has to do with work and the working world. And that's it. Those are our boundaries. And I think that has really, really helped us.
0: I don't think the median LinkedIn user realizes that Microsoft acquired it for something north of $26 billion in the summer of 2016. I mean, that is a a chump change, really, for a company that ends up being worth well north of a trillion dollars. It is a cloud and software colossus. I think about Microsoft's past forays into, if you want to call it content, which again is a word I don't love, but there was MSNBC, There was Microsoft MSNBC in the mid-90s. There was Slate. Didn't it own Slate? Um, Did it? And I- I could have sworn that was a Microsoft property, and now here you are, an employee for Microsoft working in the Empire State Building. What does it mean in the grand scheme of Microsoft? I mean, I, I don't want to get in the weeds, but it's it's really a, a rounding error uh, to Microsoft's financials, and maybe that's a good thing that you're kind of left alone, that you don't have to worry about suffocating debt like Elon Musk, you know, with his leveraged buyout or. I guess, you know, Facebook is a public company meta and it has Instagram and the others and WhatsApp and you can maybe fly under the
1: radar a bit more. I am not entirely sure exactly how, where we are on the radar. It's not an area that I spend a lot of time in, but I can tell you that we certainly see a lot of activity from Microsoft executives and employees on LinkedIn. I think that the way that we are, you know, you can see how we fit into the Microsoft ecosystem in that Microsoft is all about working with companies. It is very business focused. This is a company that is focused on powering the infrastructure for global enterprises. And what is LinkedIn? LinkedIn is about helping people get jobs. It is focused on business. We help build the voice of the professional world. Um, And so I think it makes a lot of sense. The companies make a lot of sense together, but my day-to-day, I don't have a ton of interaction with Microsoft.
0: Tell me about that initial overture. I guess it was 2011 that you joined the company. I mean, prior to that I see that, you know, you were at Fortune Magazine for a long time for the better part of, you know, the early aughts. Uh you were I think you were running fortune.com. You went off to was it Portfolio and Wired yeah. and some other ventures and somebody alt- ultimately came to you was it in 2011 from LinkedIn and said, "This is where it's headed." I could not have imagined that. I could not have romanced that. I mean, to me it was decidedly b2b it was just an extension of a business card it was table stakes you had to have a linkedin account and i understand that when you joined in 2011 you had a staff of about four and it's closer to something like 230 now
1: So I had a staff of zero, um, but let me take you back to the, uh, I'll, I'll walk you through how this all happened. So yeah. I was a business writer and reporter and editor for my entire career. I was at Forbes. I started at the Triangle Business Journal in Raleigh, got a job at Forbes as a reporter, was in the reporter pool at Forbes for a number of years, and then went to Fortune, where I became a writer and editor over during the dot-com boom. I was the the tech editor. And, was there a um, drink
0: cart? Was there a drink cart? At I was, I, was only... when I
1: came, the drink cart was gone. So I missed <sighs> the drink cart era. For anyone listening, there used to be a time inc around I don't know six o'clock, five o'clock, maybe someone would come around to all the magazines with a cart full of alcohol and go door to door. Everyone had an office. You go door to door, and people would get drinks, and that was. And I think at Time Magazine, they also had someone time that would do shoe shines time. as well. Wow! So wow. very, very different era. That was done by the time I got there, but. I was a I was I would do massive uh, magazine stories. I would go spend 2 months, 3 months covering people. It was it was great. And then I left to join Condé Nast Portfolio when that started. The idea was Condé Nast was going to launch the Vanity Fair of business and I was like this sounds incredible. I want to be part of this. So I joined as the first writer there. We spent a year building the magazine before we ever launched anything. That was a wild experience. Soon after it launched, I went to Wired. Uh, Where I was one of the two staff writers at Wired. And then I went back to Fortune after the financial crisis when Fortune had shut down its website and was realized it needed to have its own distinct digital property. And Andy Server, who you mentioned, uh, hired me to build and run it. And so I went, I left print and I went into digital at that point. And so I was at fortune.com, building fortune.com. One of the things that I built at fortune.com was an app called the Fortune 500 Plus. The idea was to marry all of this data that we had at fortune about every different company with information about individuals within a company and the idea was that salespeople would go to the fortune 500 plus app they would open it up and they would have no cold calls again because they would have all this great information that they needed but in order to do that we had the data at fortune what we didn't have was the personal information and so i wanted to use linkedin's apis flew out to california where we're based in silicon valley had a meeting with a couple meetings with with linkedin And during one of those meetings, I met our previous CEO, Jeff Wiener. We just chatted. We talked about kids. I mean, it was really like a very just casual conversation. He was talking about what I was building. We were talking about what he was doing with Fortune. And then, I don't know, I think it was a week. I can't actually remember the timeline, but maybe a week later, two weeks later, he called me up and said, hey, we're going to start moving into content. Why don't you, you come join us? And at the time, if you used LinkedIn, there was LinkedIn was, basically, digital resumes. I mean, that's what it was. You could see where everyone worked and you could connect with people. And they were just starting. We were just starting to have some content. At the time, the only content was your Twitter feed. So you could go and say, I want to take my Twitter feed and have it show up on my LinkedIn feed. And that was your LinkedIn feed was basically just your tweets. And that was it. And Jeff was like, this is not, this is good, but this is nowhere where we need to be. And he wanted to move into news. And so From the very beginning, his belief was that the way you do that is through editors and AI, or we back then we called relevance. So editors and relevance. And if you can marry the two of those, something special came out of it because AI relevance got you, enabled you to do things at scale. You could figure out exactly what someone needed to see. The computers would be amazing. These algorithms would be incredible at being able to say, Robin, like saw this article, he'll probably like this other article. Editors are great at the serendipity and of seeing, of being able to connect dots that you might not otherwise be able to connect. To be able to say, well, there is an earthquake in Japan, and this is going to have an impact on these markets that don't even know it yet. We have to be able to show this earthquake information to people who are in residential or commercial real estate in Los Angeles because they're very tied in the japanese market i'm making this up and so an editor would say look let's make sure that we show this to people who are in commercial real estate in california let's say so you marry those two things and you have editors making these kind of quick calls about things and making very fast decisions and you have algorithms that are making very wide decisions and the two of those things if you marry them you get real magic and so that was the idea from the very beginning jeff pitched me on this concept not as fleshed out at the beginning he just said we need editors to be able to get into news. And I remember I went home and I told my wife about the call, and I just thought it was completely ridiculous. Like I could not, there was no part of me that it was like, this makes a lot of sense. Like, it wasn't like one of these things where Jeff said, and I'm like, of course, this is the future. Um but I took, stop stop yeah, for a moment. Yeah, I yeah. wondered if it was like, you know, Superman going to the
0: fortress of solitude realizing he'd have to give up his superpowers. Did you at that point say, I'd have to say goodbye to journalism or did a part of you imagine that journalism was going to converge with this uh, you know you still yeah. you still are a journalist
1: yeah there were two things there were a few things going on one is I saw that my I was very through my entire career I have tried to make sure that what I can do I can do for a very long time I love journalism I love business journalism that has been my passion since I was in high school and I know I know that I want to keep doing this for as long as possible so one of the things I've tried to do with my career is make sure that I can keep doing what I love doing. That meant leaving print, which I loved, and going into digital, which was clearly the future. Once I was in digital, it was very clear that where the business, where the economics were heading were these tech companies. That this was I could I I would go to ad meetings and advertisers would say, Well, Fortune, you are promising me that you can get me people with high household income who are between 30 and 40, but I actually don't know whether you're delivering that or not. These sites, I can go to this, you know, I can go to Yahoo.com at the time, and they were like, we'll cobble you together, that audience. You don't even care where your ad is. We're just telling you we'll get you in front of the right people. And they said, and then we give you the data back to show that we've actually made that match. And when I heard that, I was like, oh, right. That is exactly what's going on. So and, really, it was
0: platforms. Yeah. It was platforms that were hoovering yes. up all of this stuff, even though the hard work was being done by the Fortune and Forbes exactly. and even portfolios. I mean, there's great long-form stuff that was there. It was just the returns were diminishing from advertising and subscriptions.
1: That's exactly it. And I thought, well, so one of the ways that got me over the hump to go to, to join LinkedIn was I was like, I need, just need to go for two years. I need to learn how these companies work. I'm going to go suck up as much information as I can. I'm going to learn how product management works. I'm going to learn how engineering works. And I'm going to be able to come back to my old world, a much smarter executive or a much smarter editor and have this understanding of how these companies of the future are running themselves. So that was one part. Two was everyone in my network was getting laid off. And i had already been laid off once at Wired during the financial crisis. I was like, it's going to happen to me again. It happens to all journalists. And I was like, I'm just going to be calling my friends and colleagues and asking for a job. And they're going to be calling me and asking for a job. And I was like, I got to change my network. So the other part was, I'm going to go to LinkedIn and I'll spend a couple of years there again. I'm going to make a whole new network. I'm going to meet all kinds of people who are going to be starting companies. And this is going to be, it's important for me to expand my network. My network's too tight. So that was the second part. And then I just felt like I could, it's time to take a risk. But leaving journalism was very hard. And I will tell you that I went to journalism school. I was trained in exactly how the media works. For anyone who's listening to this and you are n- not a journalist, it is you are, it, it, if you get into it early enough, you are told it's a calling. And I believe it is kind of a calling. And it's a part of who you are. You, you identify when you go to parties. You're, you can't wait to tell people what you do. And so for me, it was very much... Dan Roth and Dan Roth, the journalist, were not separable. And that was who I was. And that was probably the hardest part, as you pointed out, was this idea of being able to say, I'm going to go do something that is off the beaten path, and I'm not sure what to call myself anymore. And I remember talking to Jeff Weiner again about, so I wasn't sure whether I was going to take this job. And I remember having this, I walked out of the Fortune building, I was standing on, you know, on Sixth Avenue and 49th Street on the corner, and I was talking to my phone, and I was like, Jeff, I just don't know if I can do this because... I said, if I leave, once I leave journalism, I'm out. You can never get back in. That's it. You've you've hung up your robes, and you are now defrocked. That's how it works. And Jeff said, are you sure about that? And I was like, I am not actually sure about that. And just that question made me realize that this belief that I had built up about how it works was wrong. He just took... The Jenga blackout and the whole tower fell. And I was like, mm-hmm, it is not actually true that I can't. I'm not sure if it's true or not, whether I can get back in. And I'm not sure where my path is going to lead me. And it was after that phone call that I was like, all right, I'm in. And so that's that's what made the decision.
0: Full disclosure, I'm Robin Farzad. You're listening to Dan Roth. He's editor-in-chief of LinkedIn. He has been there now for... The better part of twelve years, he joins us from LinkedIn Swank Studio in the Empire State Building. Gosh, I got to use that. I'm u- I'm used to using the NPR studios in Bryant Park, but to be able to tell people, why don't you meet us in the Empire State Building? Wow, I got to ask, and I got to get it out of the way. Yeah, because as a as a kind of a critic and a cynic and everything. I like to joke with people that my mother has not talked to me now for a decade because she always asks at Hanukkah, "Why are you not my son and a LinkedIn influencer?" I don't know <laughs> if that's kind of come or gone. I never had the chance. I could have been a contender. Uh, other colleagues at Business Week would brag about being LinkedIn influencers, but let's get this out of the way. The cringe factor of LinkedIn. And I know you're not responsible. You're editor-in-chief. There's so much valuable stuff there, so much data, so much great analysis, so much granularity. If I want to opt into frontier market investing or someone talking about the uh, implications for the fracking well of of these major petroleum mergers this week, I can zoom into that much better now than I can on Twitter, which has kind of become this uh, minefield of content. I don't know what to trust. But anyway- if i can get past all of the i'm humbled i'm flattered uh, the humble bragging yeah i'm sure you're accosted about this at cocktail parties there's not much you could do there's not much you can moderate but what is it about linkedin the whole humbled thing the whole humble bragging thing like people curb yourselves there's great
1: stuff out there if you could get past the self-congratulation yeah all right i'm going to disagree with you so here's here i hear that feedback a lot from journalists I don't actually hear that feedback from people who are just trying to get their jobs done. It is a particular worldview that says that kind of content is not valuable. There is a reason why, like, if you think about how LinkedIn works, we really mirror the working world. So the way people talk on LinkedIn is usually the way they talk in the office.
0: What I'm humbled. I'm humbled to get this internship at a a boiler room
1: in Boca Raton. I think, there, I think there's a couple of things. One is like it's hard to you want to talk about you what you're doing successfully at work. People like there is a reason why people wait for those promotion emails to go out. And then they tell they send it to their mom. They send it to their friends. They got promoted. They go out for drinks with with people. They talk about getting promoted. You spend more time at work than you do with your family. You put a lot of blood and sweat and sleepless nights into getting your work done. When something happens that you're proud of, you want to say that you're proud of it. And people want to talk about it. And the truth is that when people post that, it's some of our highest performing posts in terms of reactions is when people post this stuff because it is so easy to go on and say congratulations. And they're not saying congratulations because they're making fun of you. They're not saying congratulations because I don't, I mean, I don't know why you would do it. They're saying congratulations because they feel proud. I mean, I'm sure you have felt this where if your colleagues get something amazing happens, they win a Pulitzer, they get a Loeb Award, they get promoted. What do you say? You say, congratulations. That's awesome. I'm excited for you. And that kind of network building or that connectedness is part of how LinkedIn works. It is a requirement in order to have the knowledge sharing happen. There's these this great book by, this great work by Amy Edmondson, who's a professor. I don't know if you ever had her on. She was my prof. She's awesome. So Amy has yeah. talked so much. Her her work has been really formative for how I think about content on LinkedIn, which is she talks about this idea of psychological safety, that people will share That the best, the highest performing teams are ones where people feel comfortable being able to share the good and the bad. And not just, not overshare, it's not, you know, revealing everything going on in your world, but you feel like my voice matters. And when I talk, other people are going to listen. And what we try to do in the feed is make sure that psychological safety exists. Now, if people are just sharing pure knowledge content, what's going on with interest rates, what's happening with you know commercial real estate uh, what's happening in the insurance industry those are all insane incredibly important topics they're essential to getting your job done and to understanding where you want to take your business or to getting hired or to hiring but it all works better if it has this connective juice that comes from the connectedness that you feel like i can trust somebody i believe in somebody uh, their voice they're listening to me they care about me if you can get that layer of care and psychological safety the knowledge is much more meaningful. You but know psychological safety—it's yeah.
0: it's vexingly hard to be truly authentic. It is right if you want to talk about your promotion or how happy you are at a company, but also share the warts and all. It's really hard to do it is. when that's you know that's being blasted out on a channel where all your colleagues are, all your coworkers, people who you know tangentially met you. You know, I I struggle with this because again, you guys are. Protected, it's pure in that uh, you know you don't have a, a a multi-billionaire with his thumb on it and deciding on the new whims every Monday. And we're gonna up up promote this content and diminish this other stuff or shadow ban some people. But you got to get past other stuff to get to the good stuff. It seems
1: it's a very different way of talking. So there's a couple things. One is you mentioned this, but it is hard to talk. It's hard to know the language to use to talk about some of this stuff. So I don't know what the option the other. Uh, option is besides the humble brag. I feel you. Like, what do you say? I got promoted. You can either say I got promoted or I'm really honored to get promoted or I'm super excited that I got promoted. But you want to be able to say you got promoted. That's a big deal. Like, you should be, you should feel good about that. I'm sure, like, I call my mom every time something great happens in my life and I might share it with other people. Like, I want to be able to share the great stuff that goes on. Do people know the right words to use? It's hard. Communicating is hard. Communicating on a platform where Your boss hears it, and your colleagues hear it, and your future boss hears it, also hard. So I think people struggle sometimes with knowing the right language, and they just copy each other. The form of saying, I'm humbled, et cetera, is one that seems to work. And so I think people are like, oh, this is how you talk on LinkedIn. To your point, though, about the question of of how you communicate on LinkedIn, it's different. And I think when people come from sometimes heavy Twitter users will come to LinkedIn and they'll try to use a Twitter voice on LinkedIn and it doesn't work. This is a very sincere platform. It's something I learned that lesson early on. I would do, in the early days of the editorial team, I would do things where I would assign out articles that I thought were funny and were really cynical and that I would definitely have done at Fortune and they were bombs on LinkedIn. They just died on LinkedIn because people were like, why are you making fun of this person or this industry or this company usually it's this person and they would say like, this is like that that tone of voice is like this person is just trying to get ahead and here you are making fun of them and shouldn't everyone have a chance. And I was like, Oh, right. This is our, this audience, like you're here on LinkedIn because you believe that there is some value in investing some of your time in LinkedIn because it's going to return something to you. And I think this idea of coming on and just making fun of people or making fun of stuff like the audience doesn't want it. It was a real, I had to re teach myself how to, what kind of content to try to uh, curate and cultivate on LinkedIn and what mattered because what I had learned in traditional media did not fly here.
0: Yeah, the snark of of kind of Gawker exactly. and even the snark at, that that devoured much of Twitter. A lot of people avoid it now. A lot of my contemporaries because of the snark and the trolling. Yeah, that's why you know. And you've been getting great press to the extent that younger people have been flocking to LinkedIn. It's it's a it's a real great uh, sanctuary. And I have to say that the cleanliness of the template, the ability to post things and blog to it, it's almost a great uh, alternative to WordPress.
1: Hmm. Yeah. Uh, the 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 newsletter product is just is one of my favorite things that we have here, and we've have something like 1.3 million readers daily now, 365 wow. million total newsletters. It's a, a massive newsletter platform at this point, and it's not just it's publishers, it's companies, it's individuals doing it, and it makes sense. You're reaching your when you launch a newsletter on LinkedIn, we let your whole network know. Robin has a newsletter; you should subscribe to it. The subscription rates are really high, and then every issue you publish after that. We send out a notification. We send out an email. We put it in people's feeds. So we handle all the distribution. And I think for professionals, they like that. They don't want to like spin up their own newsletter. The idea that someone is just building it on top of their network is really helpful. Full disclosure, please stay with us.
0: This show podcast to NPR, Spotify, all fine podcatchers, including and especially Apple podcast. The link, please subscribe, is FullDRadio.com. Again, FullDRadio.com. We are on all the socials, including LinkedIn, uh, Twitter X, whatever's left of it. I'm sure we're on MySpace. The handle is FullDRadio. And a uh, gentle reminder that we have some big honking live shows coming up at the U of R's Robin School. Rashida Jones, president of MSNBC on November 2nd. We have Secretary Pete, Mayor Pete Buttigieg, December 1st at the Maudlin Center. We're in the process of rescheduling Steve Inskeep. He's being sent to the Middle East, so do stay tuned. Again, follow us everywhere at Full D Radio. If you're just joining us, my guest is Dan Roth. He is a veteran journalist, editor-in-chief of LinkedIn you know what, let's just call you a global information and career hub. I mean, the way you described it right now with newsletters and all that content that I go to, it's much more useful to me than a Yahoo Finance, which is larded up with banner ads and, and junk and everything. I, I had no idea that you have this many newsletter technically under your auspices. Yep. Does Portal even apply anymore to kind of the vernacular of dot of, you know, .com 2.0?
1: I have not heard that word in a long time. I think that when people think about this coming to LinkedIn, it's the idea of a feed that is giving you exactly both what you need to know and what you didn't know that you needed to know. And I think that last part is what I bring from all of my training and every place I've been before. LinkedIn is this idea of for professionals, there is some information that they didn't know they needed to know. Now, that's not true for everything. If you were just want to keep up with entertainment news, you might only want specific entertainment news. You just want your Kardashian feed. But if you are want to be a successful professional, this idea of, oh, I need to know what's ha- I'm going to go into a meeting today and I have to sound smart in this meeting. Or I'm not sure where my company is going. I'm hearing now about these other startups that are amazing. Should I go work for them? What is it like to work for them? All that information is what people are thinking about. And if you look at Gen Z in particular, they are more likely to change jobs and change industries that any previous generation. That idea of like changing industries, that's one the previous generations didn't do. Typically you would join an industry and that was your industry for most of your professional life. Gen Z is like, doesn't matter, I'm willing to switch. I wanna be at places where the values line up to my own. I wanna gain new skills. And so they are searching for information about what's it like to work at different companies, what's going on in these industries, who's gonna win, who's gonna lose, and how do I make sure I'm part of that? much savvier about making those kind of hops. And they're using LinkedIn that way for a lot of research.
0: Dan, would you share with us uh, kind of the opening hours and maybe the weeks of the pandemic and what LinkedIn meant to the world? Here I was thinking, by the way, I didn't even know what Zoom was beforehand. One of your sister properties is Skype. Am I wrong? Microsoft owns Skype? that's right. Why weren't we just switching on Skype or using it seamlessly on LinkedIn to kind of get best information? I know there was a lot of LinkedIn clutching those initial two weeks as the unemployment rate shot up to 14 15% people were trying to get clean data about what the WHO was saying about potential lockdowns about best practices i want to know what was going on behind the scenes i know this has kind of become a through line to yeah. every you know full disclosure when we talk about where were you when but i i remember that the nba was canceling the rest of the season or pushing it out colleges were telling people to not come back for the rest of the marking period and I definitely noticed that LinkedIn must have seen such a surge in traffic. Everybody was at home. Everybody was terrified.
1: Yeah. So we I'll tell you just on a personal level, how or a professional level, what, what was going on behind the scenes, for me at least, as this was going on. So my the editorial team is a global team. We reach 550 million people each day with all of the, either the original content or the curated content that the editors are touching. We're in 200 countries and nine languages. So that's the team. When COVID started hitting... My team in Asia Pacific was the first to say, this is a really big deal. My editor in France was like, Dan, you got to start paying attention to this. This is, we're starting to shut down markets. This is before March uh, of 2020. And I remember in, in the US, we're like, ah, this is, that's something that's happening over there. Like, I don't know how big this is going to be. And the global nature of LinkedIn helped us realize pretty early that this was actually a massive deal. We could see in our traffic that there were, you could see spikes, you could see different countries. What was happening is different countries were dealing with the pandemic. And you could see all of our numbers starting to, to really shift as the pandemic was was hitting in, e- in each country. So we went on, you know, we sent everyone home and we started figuring out how to do what we were going to do from home. There were a couple things that we did immediately. So when there are hot button, what we internally call hot button issues, anything where you need to have trusted sources, there's an entire editorial plus trust Plus, note, plus product playbook that gets opened up. And that involves making sure that we have storylines, which are our trending news compilations that are put on the top of the notifications. So you'll see, so as soon as COVID hit and this started having an impact, when you went to LinkedIn at the top of your notifications, you would see this kind of trending news item. If you went into it, you would only see curated content that my team was pulling together in each one of those markets, in each one of the local markets from local authorities from local companies and from usually heads of state or the health authorities in each one of those heads of state. Plus the WHO was huge on LinkedIn. And we were making sure that for our members, for professionals, they were getting just the most vital information about exactly what's going on, what the numbers look like, how they need to deal with this. And they were hearing how local companies we're dealing with it. One of the things that LinkedIn that we always try to do is make sure that we are showcasing what, in particular, these big employers are doing. So employers are some of the most, I don't know if you, if you ever look at the data that comes out of Edelman on the trust barometer. So yes. it's really great research. So their trust barometer for the last, I don't know, five years has shown that the most trusted institutions are CEOs, subject matter experts in these companies. People are looking to them for an understanding of what is going on in the world. You can criticize that and you can say, I'm, seems, I'm not sure if I agree with that or not. But it is the truth is this is what people are turning to for information. It makes a lot of sense to me, in particular, big companies, because they end up having ripple effects on the small companies. And everyone, you're running a small business, you're like, I don't know what to do. You look at, to see what JP Morgan is doing and that helps give you some guidance. You assume that Jamie Dimon has great advisors who are telling him what to do.
0: Well, I, I remember the very ill, was it Arnie Sorensen who was yeah. succumbing to cancer at Marriott and how much that was shared. exactly, And how really authentic and unbelievable that was. We talked about authenticity before. I miss him. But he was Looking great. into his eyes, looking at yeah. the sick man and the guy saying, it's not about me. It was really a case study in leadership and actual urgency and what a CEO would do in a once-in-a- generation
1: crisis like that. And it was overwhelmingly shared on LinkedIn. Yeah. Arnie was phenomenal. Great leader. One other part about COVID that we saw, I think it's a little bit different for us than maybe for others, is that we saw these spikes in usage of LinkedIn, like every social platform did, like every digital platform did. But what was unusual was watching what was happening to affected industries. So we could see, for instance, the entire travel industry shut down and the retail industry right. shut down. And we could watch the flow of people who were in those industries starting to apply to jobs elsewhere and starting to understand what skills they have that could be applied elsewhere. And you saw this opening where people were like, oh, I thought I was in the travel industry, but it turns out that what I am is good with people. And- the insurance industry needs people who are good with people to be able to do claims management in other areas. And you could watch this flow of people applying to jobs outside of any other place where they've applied to jobs. Because on top of a having this incredible feed of knowledge, content, we have jobs and we have skills data. And we could see how those skills and how those jobs were changing based on what was going on in the macro. And that was really fascinating to watch. And It was the first large-scale shift, people from one industry to another that at least I've seen in my lifetime.
0: Dan, if I'm sitting next to you at a bat mitzvah uh, or a wedding or something, I always do this kind of. I imagine it's a it's a Dan Roth type question. If I if I had the luxury of meeting Dan Roth and I had his best practice, he would say meet a source or a person you never knew and say what are the one or two things or three things the pointers kind of parenthetical pointers like the you know the yeah. old cliche thing is a, a sushi chef would tell you not to get sushi on a Sunday night if. If you're getting the fish shipments on a Monday morning, you know, a funeral home operator might tell you something else, a plastic surgeon, you know, the pro tips, we certainly as journalists have shared parenthetical asides to people. I wanna know kind of get down to brass tacks, the bullets of like, how do I immediately clean up and make
1: my LinkedIn act the most efficacious? Okay, so here are my tips and tricks. Number one is, You should be posting. Everyone should be posting. Everyone has knowledge to share. And I think it is sometimes hard for people to remember that there are, or to realize that there are other people who are hungry for that knowledge. And it trips people up. They're like, I don't know if I should be sharing on LinkedIn. What should I share? What can I say? How do I sound right? My tip is always just to post and don't even look at the metrics. Just start if you have this idea in mind of, I'm giving back and I'm going to share. There's something that I have been doing that I want to share with other people. And it could be simple. Like, for instance, what microphones you use to start a podcast. That is interesting. There are other people who are like, I, have, I want to start a podcast. I have no way how to do it. If you're like, here are my five tips for how to start a podcast. Super successful on LinkedIn. You should know what it is that you want to share about, what it is in your professional world that you're like, I'm kind of an expert in this, or I, or I want to become an expert in this. And you just start posting and you post regularly. So number one is like, just post with your authentic voice about what's going on at the beginning. Don't look at the numbers. All you're doing. You
0: should I care about strategic hashtagging? I'm nope, serious nope, here. Absolutely there not. There are ways of tagging people and making, say, you know, like all a these. Little you'll
1: hear nibble all... on a person's ear. I want to get you involved. Exactly. There is no. Sometimes you'll hear from people who think they've figured out the system and the algorithms, and I'm going to reveal to you like how the algorithm works, so you can understand why I'm giving these tips. But the answer is just be authentic. So that's number one. What kind of content you want to do? What do you talk about with your colleagues? Like post that kind of stuff. At mentions are super powerful. So this idea of when I post on there, if I want to make sure that somebody responds to it, I use the at sign, I write their name out. They will then go to notification. It's one of our highest performing notifications. Robin tagged you into a post and wants to hear from you. Those do incredibly well. So you should. You don't want to overdo it. Overdoing it is something that, that the system frowns upon. But if you say, if you pick a few people and you say, I want to hear from these people, or for instance, I was at a wedding last week and I talked to Susan Smith and we had a great conversation and she shared with me these three tips that I love. At Mention Susan Smith, she'll almost always come back in and leave a comment on the post or say something. When she does that, we then show it to her network. So you want to make sure and, and all of this, the whole reason this works is because our algorithms are looking for conversations. We're looking for a couple things. One, knowledge is being shared. We want to make sure our belief is that all of the world's professional knowledge lives in the heads of professionals everywhere and if we can just help get it out in the world the economic opportunity awaits everyone. So that's that's the idea. And so what the algorithms are looking for is is a conversation going on here and is it an authentic professional conversation. So they want to see that two people who have who are going back and forth on something and they're sharing gold knowledge. You know, they're sharing great knowledge. Like that's something that we'll keep sharing.
0: I don't understand. And if if that is, that's then, there, that's blasted we out. We might
1: show, right. So we'll show, so for instance, if you say, you talk about, hey, I'm, I just got promoted and I'm really excited about that. For that kind of content, we'll show that. For those kind of posts, we'll show that to your network. That's something that's really important that your network see. You've connected with these people. You follow these people. You have some touch point with them and they are likely to come back in and say, congratulations, Robin, you got promoted. I love that. That's not great content for people who don't know you. If I don't know you, Mm -hmm. when I see that in my feed, I'm like, what do I care about this guy who got promoted? And why is LinkedIn showing it to me? So those kind of like the kind of content we talked about at the beginning of this conversation together about this idea of this kind of social juice of this connectedness, we show that to your network. That's really important network content. It's Mm -hmm. essential to how professionals work. You build trust with each other and you build relationships. So we want to make sure we're showing that. The next level is this kind of knowledge sharing content. Here's what I learned from creating a podcast. That kind of content, we'll start showing that. We'll show it to your network and then we'll show it to people who are interested in podcasts. So we can see these are the topics people care about. These are the kind of stuff that they spend more, that they either share or save or spend time on. We're looking for these signals that tell us this is the kind of content that someone is getting some use out of show them more of it. And that's the kind of stuff that will leave your network. So the more you're teaching, the more you're giving back about how the professional world works, that's the kind of stuff that tends, that will leave your network and start spreading across LinkedIn. And
0: that qualifies as quality engagement. I mean, I hear engagement kicked around a lot. Yeah. I don't know what it, what it means. I mean, if people are liking things, if they're sharing it, if they're chiming in and sharing it with their networks. Yeah,
1: that, those are all, that would all be quality. We don't use that term quality engagement, but that would all be In the vernacular, quality engagement, absolutely. You know, the other part is, I think sometimes people come to LinkedIn and they're like, I want to go viral. And there's just not that much that goes viral on LinkedIn on purpose. And that's because there's very little that as professionals, we all need to hear about. And, you know, this is not like, we don't, one of the things we don't measure on LinkedIn is time spent. We don't care if you are. Our goal is not to keep you on the app all day long. If you're on the app all day long, it means you're not actually doing your job. If you're not doing your job, you're not connecting to economic opportunity. Our goal is to connect people to economic opportunity. And so we're failing at our job if you were spending. We're failing at our mission if you're spending all day on LinkedIn. But you should get here. You should come here. You should get what you need. And then you come back, hopefully, because it was so valuable you come back for more. So the idea of viral content doesn't really work with what we're trying to do. We want people to get great information, feel like they learned something, and then it paid off for them in the real world. They got promoted. They got a great job. They got a raise. They found a business partner. They launched a company. You know, there's like a million things. They got booked onto a show or a podcast, or they spoke at a conference, or they got a book deal. All of that stuff counts as economic opportunity. That is how we know if we've succeeded. Full disclosure, stay with us.
0: Full Disclosure Podcast to NPR, Spotify, and of course, Apple Podcasts. The link is FullDRadio.com. You can follow on Twitter, Facebook, and LinkedIn at handle FullDRadio. And a shout out to our listeners on WVTF Radio IQ, Virginia's NPR news station. You can DM me to carry Full Disclosure on your air. Dan Roth, Editor-in-Chief of LinkedIn. In the 10 minutes or so we have left, I'd like to take the conversation. I'd like to upsell it to AI. Of course, okay. your parent company, Microsoft, is software cash cow, cloud cash cow. It's out of hand in every pot. And now artificial intelligence is a great driver of, of search and maybe some of the functionality uh, that you could get. I hear people getting more excited about the Excel spreadsheet than they've been in decades because of the AI autocomplete capabilities. But uh, use your illusion a little bit if you let me you know, channel a little GNR. Can you harvest this data, not in a nefarious way, uh, to help us with analytics and you know all this stuff that you're seeing, motion and movements and analysis, and if-then scenarios, to help with the AI capabilities of the parent company, Microsoft, into something that's truly value added? And I don't know if I just sounded like a lot of uh, PR boilerplate, but
1: I also am trying to get my head around Totally. This. So uh, I'll tell you something that we launched this year that has gotten me really excited. We launched something called Collaborative Articles. And this is uses AI in humans to really try to unleash as much knowledge as possible. So again, our goal is to get all of the knowledge of the world's professionals out into the world and being shared. It is sometimes difficult to get people to share what they know because they either don't know what they know or they're not sure whether it's valuable or they're scared to do it or they don't know how to do it. There's a million reasons that stop people from sharing how to be a great accountant or with the value of C++ over C. I mean, I'm now I'm speaking out. Of, I, 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 I got to rein myself back in because I'm talking about topics that I'm not an expert on. But each one of us has these niche areas that we are experts on or that we know something about. So we did something called collaborative articles that we started in, I think, February, which takes AI. And basically, we write these. We have AI working with Microsoft here to be able to create articles about specific topics, really niche, narrow topics It starts; they go broad, and then they get super, super niche it might be about one programming language, or one area of software as a service. And we then take that article, which is fine. I mean, that's written by AI, it's really, they're pretty good. They're not anything that you would ever want to spend too much time with, but they're not they answer the questions. But the answer in a very basic way, we don't actually care about those articles. We care about using them as thought starters to get the real expert sharing. So this is where the magic happens. We take those articles. We then can use thanks to LinkedIn data, some we can see who is who has skills in each one of those particular areas. They get a notification. It'll say, "Hey Bruce, you are an expert in accounting. We think this is an article where you might have some expertise. Can you come tell us how to really think about this through your lived experience?" And it'll show them an article about, I don't know, gap accounting. And it'll ask a bunch of questions. And then you have accountants coming in and saying, well, this is how you do it. You do X, Y, and Z. This is how I do it. And the AI part starts fading into the background and the human voices start coming forward. But the AI brought out the human voices. And what we are seeing is that people love this. They are like, oh, yeah, I am an expert in this. And what I say matters. And so like, there's a great one I was on the other day that was about, if you're going to give a speech, how to memorize your speech. And it was all of these people who were experts in this area giving these incredible tips. I never went to the the AI article, had faded into the background, and it was just an article of tips at this point. And that's when you start marrying AI and humans. And, and our goal is to give humans better economic opportunities. So anything, anytime we are using AI, it is about that. We'll use AI to match content to the right people. We use it to get more information out into the world. So we use it as kind of a co-pilot in that that area. I think you'll see us increasingly use it to help understand your own data on LinkedIn. So there's a lot, it is going to be part of everything that we do at LinkedIn.
0: Dan, in closing, uh, I have a few minutes left with you. And as I, I promised, I mean, in the interest of transparency and vulnerability, you can see my schlumpy setup here. I'm I'm really actually literally humbled by it. Um, and I get knocked on Room Raider whenever I'm on MSNBC and other places. And I promised my producers that I would not – I'm just going to show it to you warts and all and everything to, in the interest of getting your pointers – on how best – look, if if a podcast is table stakes and we're a good you know 15 years into this podcasting boom, there's a lot of stuff. There, there are podcasts that peak, that trough, that are coming back. But increasingly, I think some of the best podcasters, at least on, on your network, offer video options. You see the split screen. Uh, you in the past have written me and said, why don't you have transcripts of your podcast available with time hash marks? What are the best practices here? What can I do? Because I feel like I've neglected kind of my my LinkedIn shingle. All right, I'm so glad. And you I'm asked. not saying yeah. this just out of self-interest. I want other podcasters, other content makers, other journalists, other business
1: people to learn from this as well. Sure. So number one. Your background's great. Don't The Room Raider guys, I would not listen to them on this. We know that authenticity wins on LinkedIn. This is a very authentic That's 1991 background. authenticity. It's great. I
0: mean, I'm surprised you haven't upgraded this. It. No, it's this,
1: perfect. <laughs> you want people, people like, we have seen, we can see the difference in super produced content versus warts and all content. Warts and all content always wins. And sometimes mm-hmm. I'll talk to executives that are like, I'm going to build a giant studio in my, you know, in our office and we're going to start pumping out content, podcasts and video. And it's like, you could do that or you could just take your phone and put it up at a weird angle on your desk and record yourself that way, and I guarantee you that's going to work better and save you a lot of money. So first of all, your background. wouldn't think too much about it. It's great. If you want to start, video works well on LinkedIn. Vertical video, we should be posting that. Clips works incredibly well on LinkedIn. There's all kinds of great products out there that will make the editing super easy, and these AI-powered products are making it easier and easier to be able to create this kind of split screen editing so that is all accessible to anybody you don't have to have hollywood producers doing that that being said so 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 that's all one kind of area to think about but what matters more? But you're in a swank studio in the Empire State Building with a sure mic. Let me just point out that I am sitting, you can't see the full studio here. I am sitting in <laughs> a room that's probably three by three. It is just got black foam on it. It's great. Don't get me wrong. It's a great room. But this is the shoebox that I'm sitting in. So it looks <laughs> like the Charlie Rose had it right. You know, you get like, I'm not, not in all areas, obviously. But in this one yeah. area of having the black uh, background, like that makes everything look, look sharp. It's not about the background. It's about the conversation. <laughs> right. Yeah. And so that. What you just hit on is exactly it. it, it oh, the only thing that matters is the conversation. So I was looking at your posts and I'm going to, and you know, we're going to, we're going to do this therapy session here in uh, live. Hit me hard. You're not sharing enough knowledge content. You're not sharing, like what is going to work for you and for everyone else is when you say, I sat down and I talked with Pete Buttigieg and here are the three, the three things that really jumped out at me or the one thing that I really thought of, or here's how I got ready for this interview. And what you need to think about is how am I giving back? Whenever I post, I try to think about who is the person who's listening to this and what value are they going to get out of it? They get no value from me saying, I was interviewed today. That is just not, they're like, great. That's again, like it falls into the humble brag camp. They get a lot of value if I say, I sat down with Robin and he asked questions that I really hadn't thought of before. And here is what I wish I had said. And because that is, It helps other people before they do an interview. It shows like I'm being authentic and saying what works and what doesn't work. But mostly, it's just the idea of like trying to explain how I see the world. And hopefully, that will help other people see the world the same. You are in a privileged position. Podcast hosts are in a privileged position. It's why we really try to work with podcast hosts, especially is because you get to spend all of this time with people and they're revealing things they hadn't wanted to reveal before. They hadn't thought of before. And I think in an AI era, that's especially important. We are, AI is great at taking all of the world's known knowledge and packaging it up. It can do that better than humans can. What AI can't do, at least not yet, is get new information out into the world. You are getting new information out into the world. The more you can share that new information and help people see it and learn from it, the better off you are, the better you're going to do on LinkedIn. People are going to come to you because they trust you they like what you have to say. They feel like you're helping them. So I think that if I could leave with any like last tips, it is think about your posting as being generous on LinkedIn. How can I, this woman, uh, uh, Callie Schweitzer on the team, came up with this term platform of generosity? And I love that idea of the. Wait, Callie Schweitzer you know at Time Magazine. Exactly. So she's here. What? It's just become like a retirement home for <laughs> Time Inc. people. It's unreal. This is a launch pad. For timing people, it's wow. the way I like to think of it. Callie's yeah. incredible. That term alone is like it is worth its weight in gold. That platform of generosity. Is so, Callie works with creators every day and it's she teased that out. This is like what people, when they start feeling good about what they're posting, it's this idea of I'm giving back. And I think it might sound corny. This is going to sound, you know, if you have your cynical glasses on, it's going to sound, you know, you're going to, you might cringe at it, but it's the truth. If you can somehow give back and if you can say, I'm not going to worry about how this sounds, I'm just going to think about giving back, you're going to do great on LinkedIn. And so that would be my final message is just try to think that way when you're posting and you're going to see success.
0: Is there still the LinkedIn influencer possibility or has that ship sailed? I mean, my mom, <laughs> you know, I never did become a doctor. I never went to med school, but she held out hope for more than a decade that we I no would come We no longer have that December. title.
1: That was a, in the, in the early days when we were first launching original content on LinkedIn, that is what we, we had to come up with some way to be able to distinguish the people who could post on. We only opened it up to a, we weren't sure what we were going to get. We were like, so selective. we were so my selective. Gosh. So we were like, I don't know, we're, we need some name. And we picked that name. Still don't love that name, which is why it doesn't exist anymore. But that was our initial group of 100 people who could post on LinkedIn. And what we saw when they posted was that people loved it. And then we started growing the program. And now everyone can post. We have something called the top voice, which you get by... I talked about these collaborative articles. As you start posting the collaborative articles, and we can see that you're an expert in some area, you get a top voice badge for that area where you clearly have some expertise, those badges stay with you as long as you continue to post on those particular skills. They took
0: away my blue check mark, (laughs) man. I'm still looking for some sort of affirmation or validation. Maybe you guys will throw me a bone somewhere. Dan? The affirmation comes internally. Dan Roth, I got to thank you. I got to thank you. For years, people have been recommending you to me. I said, I got to take this guy out, you know, take him to Montana, whatever that Montana steakhouse was at the Time Inc. building. By the time you left Time Inc., I'd missed that. You'd gone off to Condé. You're now at LinkedIn. I'm so grateful that you finally, you know, held my hand through this. And um, you've done a lot of people proud, sir. Thank you for coming on the show. Thank you for having me. This is terrific. Full disclosure, a special thanks to Claire Morgan and Case Graham at Notterly. If you are listening to us on the radio, note that while we often cut for broadcast length, the entirety of every interview is available on podcast. The link, please subscribe, is FullDRadio.com. Again, FullDRadio.com. Follow along on all the socials at handle Full D Radio. A shout out to our listeners on Radio IQ. We are down in North Carolina on WPVM, out in California on KPPQ. You can message me to carry full disclosure on your air. My DMs are always open. And catch me every week on both NPR's Here and Now and MSNBC. I'm Robin Farzad. Thank you for listening and back with you next week.